what happens is if you can find out what the city's plans are and the areas of revitalization and get in front of that path of progress before the locals know about it, you can make a lot of money. Welcome to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals, the show that teaches you and other busy pros how to grow your wealth so you can live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. This week, our guest is Kathy Fetke. Kathy is the co-CEO of the Real Wealth Network and the best-selling author of Retire Rich with Rentals. She is an active real estate investor, licensed real estate agent, and former mortgage broker, specializing in helping people build multi-million dollar real estate portfolios that generate passive monthly cash flow for life. With a passion for researching real estate market cycles, Kathy is a frequent guest on CNN, CNBC, Fox, Bloomberg, NPR, CBS Market Watch, and the Wall Street Journal. She was named among the top 100 most intriguing entrepreneurs by Goldman Sachs two years in a row. That's a pretty awesome bona fide. Kathy hosts two podcasts, The Real Wealth Show and Real Estate News for Investors, both top 10 podcasts on iTunes with listeners in 27 different countries. Her company, Real Wealth Network, offers free resources and cutting-edge education for beginning and experienced real estate investors. Kathy is passionate about teaching others how to create real wealth, which she defines as having both the time and the money to live life on your own terms, something I know that you'll be interested in hearing about. So Kathy, thank you for joining our tribe and coming and talking with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So I've seen you speak a couple times at a couple different events, and I've certainly always enjoyed it. I enjoy listening to your podcast, especially real estate news for investors. I, I enjoy that one, getting those updates. What's on your mind these days? Things have changed. We're recording this in November of 2018, so by the time it comes out, it'll be a little bit dated, but the markets are fluctuating. Real estate's still strong, though. So what do you think? Well, I think you nailed it. Real estate markets are fluctuating and times are changing. People need to be really aware of how they're changing and how it might affect them in their particular market. Because I can tell you in some markets, it has come to a screeching halt. Hmm. While other markets are still booming. So you just got to be prepared. (laughs) Markets that have come to a screeching halt. Like when I hear that, I think California, expensive, coastal, major market real estate. Is that what's on your mind as having stagnated or are we talking middle of the country type of thing? Well, it's really across the country, but what we've had for the past 10 years is a lot of stimulus, a lot of government stimulus to revive the housing market after it collapsed in 2008. So as we know, there was over $4 trillion printed and just created out of thin air to revive the economy. And that's never happened before to have such a massive money supply sort of just created. And so nobody really knew how that would turn out. But what's happening now is it worked. I mean, the real estate market reinflated and in some areas reinflated in a bubble kind of way and other markets, not so much, just are solid. But what the Fed is doing now is reversing that. So what happened over the last 10 years, the stimulus is now being reversed and there's a tightening happening on the Federal Reserve level. And that's what the raising interest rates is. And that's what the situation was, you know, with the Fed buying back bonds. They were buying bonds to keep interest rates low. And now they are unloading those. 
And that's where we're seeing long-term mortgage rates increase. So the bottom line is usually what the Federal Reserve wants, the Federal Reserve gets. And they wanted to stimulate the economy 10 years ago. It worked. Now they want to slow it down and prevent bubbles and prevent inflation. And that's what they're getting. Mm, Yeah. And many of us, I mean, I'm a fan of Peter Schiff as well. And he's definitely one to talk about the coming inflation spike. And it's already here and we're missing it. So where do you stand on that? I mean, the Fed says, yeah, there's some inflation, but it's not a problem. What do you see there as far as inflation goes? Well, what we know for sure is there's been massive inflation in housing and the stock market. With goods and services, it just depends. I mean, you've got certain technological devices that get cheaper every year. If you tried to buy the computer you have today, it would be cheaper because the new computers today are much, much better than probably the one you have, even if the one you bought was six months ago. You know, So depending on what you're talking about, there's been inflation or not. Now, definitely, definitely, there's been massive, massive inflation in the housing market. And that was intended. That was, again, the whole point of buying bonds to keep mortgage rates low. And we've come back for the most part. In most markets, prices are back to where they were. So the Fed didn't want to see another bubble and just started raising rates. So add to it the tax changes that many people said, oh, that benefited only the wealthy. But what it did, in fact, was create a bit of a slowdown in the higher priced markets because of the SALT deductions and because of the limits on mortgage deductions and no more, not as good incentives on vacation homes. So you're seeing definitely a slowdown in the high end definitely in California, in LA and San Francisco. I'm kind of hearing it across the country though. And that's what's interesting. I was invited to a conference in Dallas about a month ago. I didn't really know what it was for, but I was invited to come speak. So I went, they gave me a booth and I ended up meeting just real estate agents from across the country. It was a very well-attended event, thousands and thousands of agents from around the country. And, And I asked every single one that came by, What's going on in your market? And I didn't hear anyone saying that things were picking up. Every single person I spoke to said things had slowed down just in the last few months. So you just be aware. Your market may still be hopping, but just be aware that things could change on a dime and you don't want to be stuck having maybe spent too much on a rehab and then realizing now, oh boy, you're going to have, maybe there wasn't a huge margin in there and you're going to have to reduce prices or it's going to take longer to sell just have to understand that things are changing and you can't really use the same strategies today that maybe you used last year or five years ago. From my perspective, you know, I'm an apartment investor and the market's been pretty tight for really a couple of years now, but right now it is indeed very tight. Prices are still pretty high. Things might've slowed down a little bit, but attractive valuations are getting harder to find is what I would say from my perspective. So Really, what is a real estate investor to do to continue to make money? I mean, we can't sit in our offices and blame the market all the time. We have to get out there and make some money. Yeah. I mean, I just interviewed a big apartment guy on The Real Wealth Show and they're net sellers right now, but they had a really interesting strategy that I hadn't heard anyone say yet, but they are basically putting all their C-class properties on the market selling them at top dollar, any value add stuff, because people, hedge funds and investors worldwide are just clamoring for these value add apartments. 
not kind of realizing that four cap value add is maybe not the best deal in town, but they're buying them. And then these guys are then reinvesting in B class. So they're just repositioning and getting they're upgrading. So I thought that was an interesting way to kind of deal with today's dynamics, because I've heard a lot of people say in, in multifamily, if things really soften, the best place to be is in the B class, because A-class apartment renters, maybe they can't afford the A-class anymore, so they go to B-class. And then the C-class, maybe they are able to afford now the B-class because our rents have gone down. So anyway, that's their strategy, and I thought that was very interesting. I can tell you at Real Wealth Network, some of the things that we're doing still is finding very, very affordable housing in markets that are poised for growth. And renovating those, staying very, very much within the median home price, median rent of the area. And I think for a while, there'll be very strong demand, like I said, for B-class properties and single family, one to four unit and multifamily. So, you know, a lot has been said about many markets that are poised for growth, specifically, or just growing. You know, Texas has been a big name last few years as far as how great everything is there. It's all sunshine. What do you see as growth markets over the next five, 10 years? Finding the best market in the US has been my thing since probably 2005, because I'm born and raised in California. And if you were trying to find a good deal or any cash flow in California in 2005, you'd be hard pressed. (laughs) Even if you went to Stockton, and I mean, people did, you would not find cash flow. So I had the opportunity to interview some really experienced investors like Robert Kiyosaki and Dennis Kaminsky back then on The Real Wealth Show. It was one of the first podcasts. And they were the ones to tell me, oh, no, 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 you got to sell from the high-priced markets here at the peak and exchange into emerging markets. And they chose Texas because of the massive job and population growth there. So we back then were cashing in. Like, I got it. It made so much sense to me. Hey, sell at the peak. Talking about Stockton, for example, I had a woman come to me who had three rental properties in Stockton that were old, they were dilapidated, she was being nickeled and dimed every month by the property management, everything would be breaking, she never made any cash flow. But she was able to sell three these three Stockton properties for $420,000 each in 2006 at the peak. And she was able to get nine or 10 brand new homes just outside of Dallas in a little town called Rockwall that was in the path of progress. And those rented for the same amount. So she basically quadrupled her cash flow and got into brand new A-class property, sold the D-class and sold the D-class at the peak, bought A and those properties stayed rented. They tripled in value over that time period. She never even felt a recession. And the person who bought her Stockton properties for $420,000 each. Those were ended up being worth about $75,000 after 18 months after the market crashed. So I understood 10 years ago that, wow, this is an amazing time that you can sell at the peak and exchange for another property that's just at the beginning of the boom. So what is that today? Is it Dallas? Well, unfortunately, at least in the apartment world, there's a lot of product coming online in Dallas, a lot. I forget how many units, but that's going to really affect rents and put downward pressure on rents because there'll be so much supply. Same is true for Seattle. And there is concern that with the new HQ2, how is that going to affect Seattle where 
it's already really pushed, right? I mean, the affordability is already maxed. So if jobs start to leave, you're maybe going to see rents go down there. You can't just follow jobs. You've got to know what kind of supply is coming online and are these jobs here to stay? So we've got quite a few markets identified that really fit our metrics at this point. Hmm, Interesting. And again, as we record this in early November 18, Amazon has not finally announced where they're going to put HQ2. They're in the final steps. They're going to tell us. They're just hanging on to it. And it looks like it might possibly be just a couple hours away from where I live. It's going to potentially be in Northern Virginia. I mean, you can't just follow jobs, but I'm curious, how much do you think about the quote unquote business friendliness of any given state for how good of an area might be to invest in in the future? Oh my gosh. That's like one of the first things we look at. I mean, we're inundated here in California with laws that are not in our favor. So we were building, we were entitling land, and then regulations got so, so intense for the builder. I think just to build a single family home, it was about $120,000 to $140,000 in fees. And let alone, you know, the years it takes just to get the job done from an entitlement perspective. Whereas just three hours away, we could go to Reno, Nevada and build there where there's all this new job growth and the fees are maybe in the ten, twenty thousand dollars range and you can get something built pretty quickly with massive demand and affordability in check and no state income tax and favorable business friendly laws. I mean, landlord friendly versus just go across the border to California. And if someone doesn't pay their rent, you're going to be hard pressed to get them out of your property. So it's everything. And now you've got, again, this will already have passed, but the Californians are voting on a Prop 10, which could put uh, rent controls on single family units and new developments. And it's like, come on, people like these laws just exacerbate the problem. If you punish the landlord, guess what? The landlord's going to leave. <laughs> They're not going to have any rentals. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, the housing affordability problems are very complicated. And like you said, at the kind of top of the show, the Fed has done everything they can to push prices up, back up on housing. But folks wonder why costs are so high. And then you're talking about it can cost $110,000, $120,000 just to get the permits done on a new property in California, whereas you can buy a property in many states for that amount of money. And it it might not be a class property, but it's going to be a house that you can live in without having a problem. So it just baffles me that that people can't really (laughs) seem to do the math on that, but we're not here to solve that problem. As far as Fed policy right now, kicking up interest rates, I mean, at least Peter Schiff likes to say that they're just doing that so they have somewhere to cut from when the next recession comes. What's your opinion about that? Do you think he's right? Do you think we're too little too late? Where do you stand there? Yeah, I listen to Peter Schiff a lot too, and I try to balance it with a little bit more optimism, but I I get where he's coming from. I mean, we have a really manipulated marketplace and that's a fact and it will implode. It's just when. Peter Schiff thinks it could be any day. I'm not so sure about that because I think that, like you said, there's more ammunition they can use that is only going to make the matters worse, but it's going to at least not affect the politicians in office today. It will affect them down the road, right? So the politicians of today, you're exactly right, and Peter's right, that when this recession hits, 
then at least interest rates are a little bit higher such that they can be lowered to try to stimulate the economy again. So yeah, 100%. But also the other reason they're raising rates is because the economy is booming. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. You raise them to slow things down a little bit. So they're doing it because it's called for, because inflation hit its 2% rate and that's the time they raise rates. And they've been raising them very cautiously. I mean, just tiny percentages, but just to keep that momentum going. And they're not trying to pop a bubble here. They're just trying to prevent massive inflation. And it is working. It is working. So the question is, will they be able to slow down the economy and not bring it to a screeching halt? Can they do that? Because in the past, it hasn't worked usually. If they raise rates, it usually pops bubbles and people lose money. So that's why, again, be cautious because it's like you're teetering on the top of this bubble. And it could be a soft landing. There have not been in the past, but there could be this time (laughs) because of the slow raising. We're not going by full percentage points here of the slow raising of rates. But the way that we are doing deals and we're doing massive deals. I mean, we just closed or just tied up some property outside of Reno. There's a lot of job growth in Reno because of the fact that it's a no income tax state. And it's much, much more affordable than the San Francisco Bay Area, but it's only three hours away and it's across the border. So massive growth, Amazon, Apple, Tesla. I mean, they're moving there for so many reasons. I think it's like 50,000 jobs coming and they need 3,500 homes per year and they're not even close to building that. So it's a very attractive place to build and the laws are in our favor. So we've tied up land in the Reno area that we're really excited about, but we're going to make sure that we don't take on any debt. Whenever you're building anything, it was the builders that got hit hard because there's no income during the time that you're building or that you're holding land. So you just don't want to get into any high leveraged loans and a deal that might take longer to entitle or to develop. So we're being very careful, being very cautious, taking on low leverage or no leverage. There were a lot of builders that were maybe properly capitalized before the recession hit. And then once it did, they ended up being completely undercapitalized because they couldn't move their property and then continue to make the payments on any of the loans they had, construction loans, anything like that, if I'm catching your meaning. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there is a project I can talk about. It's a closed syndication that we bought about 250 lots in the Reno area that we entitled in our building homes But because of the reasons that I spoke of, we don't know when the market will turn in the Reno area. So far, it's hot, 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 but you just never know. It can turn on a dime. And the builder that we work with has been doing this 40 years and he's seen what can happen. So he's not taking any risks at this stage in life. He only does deals to make money, (laughs) not to learn. So we bought the land and entitled it. And then we started the horizontal construction and then sold half the lots and that we used that money to fund the construction of the remaining lots. So we never went into bank debt. So that if for some reason we had a massive economic collapse, like Peter Schiff predicts, we would have been okay. We could have just held that land. And at the same time, if we had a massive boom, like our administration predicts, we'd also be in great shape. So no matter which way the economy went, we'd be all right. And that's how you want to be set up. Like the lady I told about earlier that sold her Stockton property She bought nine or 10 properties in a growing area in the Dallas area that all had high cash flow. If she was vacant on one or two, she'd be okay because she had all these other ones to support. 
and the numbers made sense. She was low leverage. So she never even experienced a recession. And yet, if it was a massive boom, she would have done fine there too. So you just need to understand that it could go either way and you can have your portfolio prepared for that. Mm, Great. So we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right. So second half, but it's not really a half. It's just how long does it take to answer the questions? First question being, what is the best investment you've ever made? Well, I would have to say, I think we're in the midst of a few right now. The best investments I'm about to make (laughs) are in opportunity zones. I'm very excited about that. But ones that have already completed, I would say probably the most exciting because it was so easy and so profitable. So it was the easiest one I've ever done and the highest yielding. So that was just a great combo. But I worked with a developer where he knew that there were plans for a brand new downtown area in the Dublin, California area. That's just maybe 30 minutes out of San Francisco, maybe 40 minutes with a a BART train that takes you right to the city, right to downtown. And it's always just sort of been not nice. It's never been upgraded or revitalized. But he had found out that the city was planning on completely revitalizing it, the whole area by the train station that would take you straight into the city. And what happens is if you can find out what the city's plans are and the areas of revitalization and get in front of that path of progress before the locals know about it, you can make a lot of money. So that's what he did. He found an old dilapidated office building right in that area that was slated for this new downtown. And he negotiated a lease purchase with the owner and said, look, we'll buy this for $10 million, but we're just going to give you $1.2 million now and we'll give you the remainder in two years. So they agreed and because it was a good price, $10 million. And this guy, the seller, did not know about all these new city plans and he never would have done it, right? So in those two years, we re-entitled it to residential because we knew that's what the city wanted and got tore down the commercial building. We got all the tenants out, relocated them and finished out these residential lots and sold just the lots, just the lots for $20 million to a national builder. So we were able to close on the deal for $10 million, flip it for twenty, and we only had to put one point two into the deal. Wow, that is really awesome. It was pretty great. Our investors were pretty stoked. They made a fat IRR. <laughs> <laughs> nice. How about what is the worst investment you've ever made? All right. So I don't want to freak your listeners out, but we bought an apartment in Indiana that there were a lot of good things, a lot of good things going on in the area. But unfortunately, it was a bit of an older building. So in the middle of the night, there was a gas leak and basically the firefighters came and removed all the tenants because it was a gas leak. It was an older building and we did not know that was going to happen. So all the tenants had to move and we had to fix all this. And in the process of fixing the gas leak, the city was paranoid and they didn't want to move the tenants back in until everything had been checked. So they did a little more digging around and then we had to fix the plumbing and then they found mold. We had to fix that. And it just went on and on. And it turned out to be a year long of all these new things that needed to be fixed. And we certainly had not budgeted for that. And it ended up costing millions more than we had budgeted. I went to the bank. This was a nightmare. I wasn't experienced enough in multifamily to know how how to deal with this. And there was another manager who had brought this to us, an operator for it. And I fired him and I ended up having to just take over the whole project myself. Went to the bank, said, 
literally, this was probably one of my scariest moments ever in life was to go to the bank and say, look, you can have this property back or you can renegotiate the loan because we can't make it work. And they actually came back, lowered the loan by a million bucks. So that was amazing, but it was very difficult and there were losses. So my investors knew that we did everything we could, but let me tell you, we're not, we're not doing those deals anymore. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was tough. What time frame was that? Early part of this decade. So probably 2011, something like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. What is the most important lesson you've learned in investing? I would say being very cautious. It's so easy to look at a pro forma and only calculate the numbers as if everything were to go perfectly. You've got to run it through a stress test, especially today. So there's too many people saying, okay, we're going to fix this and do this. We're going to raise rents and increase value and then refi and pay our investors back or whatever. It's like they're almost certain and guaranteeing that they're going to be able to raise rents. And unfortunately, that's not historically true, especially at this time in the market cycle. You have to be able to make the numbers work in a situation where the rents were stabilized or even possibly declined. Like I said, we think there might be some rent declines in the Dallas and Seattle area, potentially if there's oversupply coming. Some people don't agree because there's also so much job growth and population growth, but it's something to keep an eye on. So just run your pro formas as if a recession were coming and as if a boom were coming. And if it works out either way, then you're in good shape. Wow. So Kathy, how can folks get in touch with you? You can go to realwealthnetwork.com. It is free to join. And then you get access to all this market data we have on the different cities that we think have lots of potential where there's still an upside, but still cash flow. So realwealthnetwork.com. And then you can listen to my podcast. It's the Real Wealth Show or Real Estate News on iTunes or Stitcher. Awesome. So to everyone out there listening, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining us today. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you think you know someone who would benefit from all the information that I and the guests like Kathy bring to the table here, please invite them, share a link with them, tell them about the show and get them on board, help them start generating some passive income and growing their wealth passively. For now, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. Thank you for tuning in once again, and we'll catch you on the next one. 